This is a sermon podcast from Ashland First United Methodist Church in Ashland, Oregon. Visit us online at ashlandmethodist.org for more sermons like this, church information, and how to get involved. Ashland Methodist, a community of open hearts, open minds, and open doors. So this week is the last in a season on creation. Um, starting next week, we have up. Oh, there we go. Starting next week, uh, we'll begin a new season on gratitude. Uh, but before um, I begin this morning, I just wanted to say thank you for the design team that helped to do the wonderful uh, design that you see up front, that you see all around us, you see by the altar, you see it when you walk in. Uh, for me, having been gone for several weeks, uh, it was wonderful to walk into a place and immediately be centered by the design. And so as I'm preparing to talk about creation and talk about the way that God is at work in creation, just even me noticing the way that um, external, physical things can influence and affect the way that we gather and worship. So uh, I just want to maybe give a round of applause for our design team. And And, uh, if you're interested in ever being on a design team, you can... It takes all different uh, shapes and sizes of work. Sometimes it's more uh, design-elemented. Uh, elemented? What is that? Uh, sometimes it's, it includes drama, all different bits and pieces, and it's usually reflective of what you have to offer. So uh, if you're interested in any of that, you can talk to Lois de Bruno, or you can talk to Mary Van Wessup, who's over there. So depending on which side of the sanctuary you're on, you've got a candidate. So... <laughs> Um, I also need to apologize a little bit. Uh, I, every time I've ever traveled internationally, I've always gotten sick on about day four, which has made uh, international travel just so wonderful. Um, <clears throat> and I, it, I felt like a mind over matter thing this time because I was gone for, for quite some time. I was so deeply committed to not getting sick, and, uh, and it happened. I, I, I was healthy the whole time. It was great, and I remember thinking, so this is what it's like to be able to travel and feel healthy, and then boom, and uh, I started feeling sick on the way home on plane flight one of four, and um, then I lost my voice, but I've got most of my voice back, so I just, I'm just saying I'm sorry. Bear with me. Um, you know, the... the uh, it's remarkable that I didn't get sick. Um, I, I, traveling just uh, wears me down. Uh, what's really surprising is that uh, last year when I traveled to Ireland, it rained every single day, which is quite Ireland. Um, this time, however, uh, it was almost high 60s, uh, just no clouds anywhere. It was so unbelievable. And day one, two, three, four, five, six, it just went on and on and on. And uh, I, had, I traveled with my family for the first part of this trip, and I had uh, drilled into their minds, listen, you need to bring a lot of rain gear, a lot of winter coats. You, you have no idea what this weather's going to be like. And we were just you know, stripping off layers. I caught a sunburn at one point. <laughs> uh, it did rain one day, though, um, and it was the one day that I had set aside the entire day to climb a mountain. <laughs> so the mountain is in the northwest corner of Ireland. Uh, it's the same mountain that I climbed, if you remember, a year ago. I was in Ireland as well, and so I returned to the same place, and I uh, returned to do the same climb. The mountain is called Crow Patrick. Crow is the Irish word for mountain, and it's Patrick's Mountain. 
Uh, it's a mountain that carries a lot of folklore about St. Patrick, and uh, there's many stories that the Irish people tell about Patrick going climbing the mountain during the season of Lent to look out over all of the countryside to say prayers for the parishes and prayers for all the people. Um, at the top of the mountain is a little white chapel, and it has been a pilgrimage site for, uh, in the Christian tradition, 1,500 years. And before Patrick, it was a pagan pilgrimage site. So this individual trail, and here's a picture of it. Let's go back to this. So this little trail, is, I'm already three-fourths of the way up the mountain. <clears throat> this trail that's heading up has uh, been in uh, use for easily 4,000 years. Uh, there's only one way up this mountain, and uh, you'll see, um, I think I've got another picture. Um, this is looking up, clearly you can tell. Um, uh, and looking down, let's see if we can go to the next one. Yeah, I'm looking down. Um, it's just filled with a bunch of loose scree is what it's called, and it's just a, it's feet and feet and feet of loose rock. And it makes climbing so incredibly difficult. Actually, go back to the last picture. I just want to point this out. Um, so it, it rained the whole trip. And I remember when I got um, up at this point, I was just covered in fog. And what you can see, I know, I know it's kind of hard to see, but um, right in the middle of that picture, it's all mud. But I remember as I'm, as I'm hiking up, I'm kind of like pausing and trying to plot my course. And I could see the ground ahead of me moving closer. Uh, it's just slowly sliding towards me. <laughs> it was quite, quite the journey. Uh, I had been uh, preparing and training for months and months and months to try to uh, do this mountain, and I really wanted to own it. And I had put so much thought and preparation into all of my gear and all of my equipment. Uh, I had done several uh, hikes in preparation for it, and every time it rained over the last six or seven months, uh, here in Ashland, I immediately went out and, and climbed to try to get myself acclimated for it. It was amazing, though, that um, when I started, I started about 8 a.m., in the first 10 minutes, all of my preparation went out the window. I had thought so uh, hard about all the different things. I needed to have the right trekking poles, the right socks, the right equipment, and um, there's little things that I forgot, like my pack that I brought with me wasn't waterproof. Um, I was so focused on having the lightest pack. It's the simple things that you overlook sometimes. And I brought some dry clothes, but they were soon to be wet clothes. Um, I had a jacket with a hood that, again, was perfectly lightweight, and, and I knew that this jacket was uh, so great when it came to repelling water. The problem is that I didn't take into account wind and I didn't have a way to really fasten my hood. And so I did the whole six-hour hike with my hood down and just water just pouring down my raincoat. So if you're water, that's how you get into a raincoat, just down the neck. <laughs> By the time I finished, I was just soaked head to toe. And I remember thinking, I'm definitely going to get a cold now. <laughs> and miraculously, I made it another week and a half somehow. Uh, it, it is just amazing, though, uh, that there were so many moments during that hike when I just had to stop and look around and take into account where I was. I fell multiple times on that loose scree. It was a very difficult and challenging hike. Um, it reminds me 
And I was reminded many times when I was on that hike of our passage from this morning, Psalm 121. Uh, It is an old pilgrimage song. Uh, Within the book of Psalms, uh, this psalm uh, is a collection of what we call the songs of ascent. They were uh, songs, literally. Uh, Maybe chants might be another way to kind of imagine them that pilgrims would carry with them as they would travel to Jerusalem. Right? Remember, no one's hopping in the family SUV. So you're walking step by step by step by step. And you can imagine that sometimes that trip and that journey is quite arduous and tiring. And sometimes the, the footing isn't so certain. Sometimes the terrain is dangerous. And you can imagine the tired pilgrim taking this journey And looking out at Jerusalem, which sets on a hill, and asking a very sincere question. As I look to the hills, where does my help come from? I like to think that that is, in fact, a very sincere question for the pilgrim. Uh, It sometimes seems like it's a rhetorical question. Like, I look to the hills, where does my help come from? Well, of course, my help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. But I like to imagine it as that pilgrim's traveling in just the the, uh, relentless sun, feeling like they can't take another step, trying to figure out how they're going to make it. And they're just looking around. And the most dominant thing they see is the hills and the mountains. So I, I look to the hills, and where does my help come from? And the response, of course, is my help comes from the Lord, who is both the maker of heaven and earth. I wonder if the pilgrim says that as they finally come across an old olive tree that provides them some shade from that afternoon sun. Maybe they've gone for a long time without water, looking, wondering where help is going to come from, and then they come across a stream And they kind of sing the line that their parents taught them, their grandparents taught them, their great-grandparents taught them. My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. It's a difficult thing for us to actually pause and take stock. Or maybe another word we could use here is reckon. And ask the question, where does our help come from? I think uh, we would like to believe, more often than not, It comes from our savings account. It comes from years and years and years of our hard work. We've earned it, and we've collected our safety, and it shall be our help. Sometimes it's simply the fact that we are our own help. You know, admitting that you need help, or even asking the question, Where does my help come from other than me? It's such a vulnerable thing to do. We don't like to talk about that. In thinking about the word vulnerability, I think we've kind of watered down this term a little bit. Culturally, I think when I talk about vulnerability or someone says, well, you know, I'm just being really vulnerable here, It's a way of kind of saying, like, well, you know, I'm kind of stepping out on a ledge, prepared to take some risks, but really hoping that uh, I'm not going to be put to the test. 
right? Uh, listen, I'll be vulnerable with you until it gets too awkward, and then I'm out. Do you know what I mean? Like, listen, I'm just being really vulnerable here, and then it gets hard, and we say, like, that was a really bad decision. <laughs> that is such a poor understanding of vulnerability. See, vulnerability is so deeply rooted in this idea that you will fall. And yet you still decide to step out anyway. That's real vulnerability. It's recognizing that you struggle, that you fall, that you will inevitably fail. Probably multiple times. And the question for you in terms of whether or not you're going to be vulnerable, in terms of whether or not you're going to allow yourself to be vulnerable, is not an, a, a question of whether or not you're considering taking risks. It's whether or not you're okay with the idea that you're going to fall. And it's having the ability and the strength and the gumption to decide that you're going to step out and go anyway. In navigation terms, in like, you know, maps and navigation, there is a term called dead reckoning. And it's a way of trying to regain your coordinates and your location when you really kind of lost track. Dead, dead reckoning uh, works on basically being able to pinpoint what your last stable or known location was. In navigation, it requires you to look up, look around, and discern where your help has come from. Where have I been? How did I get here? What has carried me this far? I think about myself on that mountain, and I fell multiple times. I admit that there was one point when uh, there weren't many people on the mountain, but there was, uh, at, at one point, there were maybe three or four people uh, within you know, a mile of me. And um, I would see them fall, and I would think, oh, what a rookie. <laughs> <laughs> and I would just stumble myself. The more I tried to pretend like I wasn't falling, the more I fell. Do you know what I mean? When the ground is uncertain, and when the step ahead is not necessarily clear, the most certain way for you to fall is to deny that you fall. So think back to that mountain. And at many times, I had to stop, and I had to lift up my eyes, and I had to look around at what I could possibly use to move forward. And more often than not, it was a large rock that I thought, if I can jump to that rock, I know that that ground will be strong. Within the Celtic tradition, uh, mountains carry a lot of significance. It's something that they picked up from the Christian tradition. 
many times throughout Scripture, mountains are always more than mountains. They could be places where significant things happen. They could be trailheads for an adventure or for a journey. It could be an opportunity to step out into the unknown, where the ground is uncertain, where the road is unclear. And so I wonder this morning, um, maybe you're not on a mountain. Maybe you don't feel like you're at that type of a journey in your life. But chances are, you are still involved in some sort of adventure or challenge. And I'm wondering, um, what would it look like for you this morning to do a bit of reckoning? To lift up your eyes and look out and just simply ask the question, so where does my help come from? Where does my help come from? So where does my help come from? I wonder if um, once we get past our immediate responses of my help will come from my vacation that I have planned three weeks later, if I can just make it until then, or my help will come from my next paycheck, if we can get past that. I'm wondering what it would mean for you to confess that your help comes from the Lord who is both the maker of heaven and earth. When we think about help in a religious sense, all too often we can over-spiritualize it. God, the creator of heaven, will help me. But we ought to also remember that God is also the creator of earth. I could not have made up a mountain without a big rock. My help comes from the Lord who is the maker of heaven and earth. God, the same God who has created your ability to think, your ability to reckon, your ability to get upset, your ability to be passionate, your ability to love and care, is also the same God who created your bodies that have carried you this far and will do their darndest to continue carrying you. It's also the same God that created the moon and the sun and the stars and the trees, the rain and the wind. The same God who's also created your friends, your family, your partners, neighbors, all of creation. And chances are, many of us can overlook how much help we can actually receive from that. Whether it's um, giving recognition to our bodies and how they are actually helping us, or whether it's giving recognition to that dog that we have that's kind of annoying, but also somehow keeps us patient when we feel like we can't go on any longer. So I'm inviting you this morning to hold on to this question. Certainly at some point, whether it is a hard, difficult journey, or whether it's just the day-to-day -day actions, you will find yourself lifting up your eyes. And the question is whether or not you're prepared to be vulnerable enough to say, I fall, I'd like to admit that, and I'd like to actually look up and discern where my help is coming from.
The answer to that question could be something of a revolutionary effect for you. I think I start, I'm starting to believe that it takes only one moment of reckoning in a person's life to change an entire course of history. I think about the moments of reckoning and looking up that my parents had when I was growing up that altered how I was raised and where I am now. And so for whatever it is that you feel like you're dealing with and wherever you are, consider that question of where your help comes from, of what it might look like for you to be vulnerable enough to admit that you keep falling, but you're going to step out anyway. And allow God to illuminate your heart to the many different ways that we can receive help and solid footing.